Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined today by Andy H. Murray to discuss everything that happened on Friday's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review Rampage, Dynamite, WWE, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, 2.0. Oh! Premium live events, pay-per-views, wrestling interviews. We also have roundtable discussions and host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on Wrestle Culture. Much better rampage than usual, I thought. Mm. What did you think? Yeah, I thought this was um I'm reticent to make commitments and say like, oh, this was the best one since the CM Punk episode or whatever, because there are probably good episodes that I have forgotten about over the past couple of months, given the the way I consume this show, which is usually bleedy eyed on a Saturday morning as soon as I've woken up. But this was very, very good across the board. Uh some criticisms here and there, which we'll 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 get to, but they're all more supplemental rather than like well, apart from one segment, uh rather than foundational. So yeah, this was really good. Like I, I we couldn't sit here and earnestly say that any of this was like a, a great match that I'll have on my list at the end of the year, but like everything was was really strong, good brisk action. Uh, everything was well together, and I think that the, they booked so many high caliber workers just yielded a high caliber show. Yeah, absolutely. I think top to bottom, just in terms of that conversation and um, that you've dangled about maybe the best rampage in ages or whatever. I think what happens with rampage either it's a six point five or a seven where everything's like good, or you get one match which is just blow away great like Danielson Kingston, yeah, or Kingston and. Garcia's yes. first match, which I thought was better than the second. There's usually one like awesome peak or just a 6.5 or a 7. I would go 7.5 to 8 because everything across the board here was genuinely really quite strong. And the tone was set with a tag team match pitting Tony Storm and Ruby Soho against um, Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter, who they defeated in just under nine minutes in an all-action affair that never got lost that did have piped-in crowd reactions um, to its detriment. It was a little bit distracting, but ultimately it didn't feel too condescending. I still hate it, but it didn't feel like they were trying to make something better than it was. Strictly speaking, they were. Um, But it didn't feel like they were just desperate to get some noise on this show. Um, It was a really good match, I thought. Um, It was principally designed to put Tony Storm over and to build the match that she's got 
on the imminent um, Dynamite this week against Jamie Hayter. I thought all of their stuff looked really quite tremendous, really snug, really physical, um, very much indebted to the Japanese scene from which they both really made their names. Um, I thought Britt Baker was really strong in this match as well, one of her best individual performances in quite some time. Um, Soho and Tony Storm did some really nice double-team manoeuvres, and there was one great cut-off with Jamie Hayter. Um, rampaging across the canvas to just drill Tony Storm yeah. with a big boot in the face. Lots of really nice stuff. Um, and it's who got the win here? The heels. Tony no. Storm. No, not uh, the heels. Baker. Up, yes, which is uh, quite clever booking. Um, in that it preserves Storm and Hater. It adds an element of doubt to um, Britt Baker's um, chances in the Owen. Potentially, this is the end of her heel run as well. She could be a babyface after this. And if you're going to beat someone before a turn, might as well beat them and get other people over um, in the meantime. But yeah, I was just really impressed with the physicality, with how tight everything was. Um, quite a, not a convoluted um, action, but you know, quite complicated. Yeah. Needed to be in the right places at the right times. Quite ambitious is the word I guess I'm going for layout. And it was all very smooth and tight and exciting. Yeah, I think this match was a pretty good idea, uh, a pretty good argument, sorry, for for your recent case um, about hosting more all-star stuff in the division because, like, the the quality of the match spoke for itself. And you look at the combinations of people in there, you have Hater and Storm, who are obviously two of your better workers, uh, and then you have Britt Baker and Ruby Soho, who are both extremely over. And that's not to, like discredit their working ability or the overness of Hater and Storm, but it's just a, it's a winning combination yeah. across the board. And um, I, coming out of this, my overwhelming thing is that Hater versus Storm is going to absolutely rule this week. Uh, I had a lot of faith in it anyway, um, given just how, how good both of them are. Um, but yeah, the, like all most of the good stuff for me in this match came from those two. Uh, and not necessarily even when they were in the ring together. There was just lots of really good stuff across the board. Like, Hater was very impressive. I thought she was the standout wrestler in this match. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of a combination of like the horsey offense, which she's really good at, and like her backbreaker just looks like death, no matter yeah, who she's awesome. doing. Awesome. Yeah, it is absolutely tremendous. And then things like she does a lot of little character bits and pieces that she's done from her very first appearance here, like in 2019 when she showed up, um, where she's, she's like, yeah, like little noogies and like going up to the referee and yapping in his face and stuff and going, shut up, and, you know, mouthing off to the crowd and little things like that really matter in filling the spaces. Because there was this period here where she had, I think it was storm locked in a headlock for about 30 seconds. And if you don't do all that sup- supplementary stuff uh, to make the heat segment more compelling, that that is a really tedious time, but it wasn't here. Uh, and also, like, towards the end, um, the bump she took when Ruby Soho put her through the ropes right at the end was so great that I couldn't... Like, it looked like something that would injure you. And the way she kind of snapped through the ropes and, like, onto the apron and into the floor, it was so great that I couldn't tell if she'd actually been hurt or if if she was just bumping. Um, Obviously, she was okay because she got back into the ring after the finish. This was to facilitate the finish. Um, But she's done stuff like this before. Like, she's taken, uh, like, cross bodies uh, off the top and just thrown herself all the way back on the floor. Uh, Haters so good at this. At this at this profession, I think she's, I mean, what like a top five wrestler in this division? Um, really good stuff across the boards. Uh, they worked a really good pace. Um, I don't really have any bad things to say about this at all. Uh, just great, great stuff. Really solid TV match. Fun way to open the show. 
everybody showed out, everybody looked decent, and uh, this is exactly the kind of match you want to book before your tournament to get people hyped. Yeah, absolutely. I completely have to echo your thoughts entirely. I was really hyped for Hater um, Storm to begin with. This match functioned to make you that little bit more excited. I got more excited about the prospect of that match, so genuinely like home run stuff without being an absolutely great blow away match, but it yeah. was exactly what it needed to be and probably then some as well. Uh, got a really cool and unique angle here that um, played marvellously, I thought, to Chris Jericho's strengths. Uh, we cut to the commentary position. Um, Chris Jericho was really slightly improving at a massive rate yeah. as a commentator. He's no, he's got the balance of when to put over the action, and his character is obviously a very hubristic guy. This is the guy who comes out to his own self pen theme tune, so he puts over his own stuff. You never forget that he really dislikes Eddie Kingston, and we get a, a, an angle furthering that at the commentary desk uh, where Eddie Kingston calls in. Um, despite the fact that they kind of rushed the fireball angle, they are at the very least selling it um, for at least a fortnight anyway, um, stemming from Dynamite. Um, a fortnight ago, uh, Kingston calls in. Um, he does this just incredible, angry, impassioned, like promo loaded with intent about the horrible things he's going to do to Chris Jericho when he recovers. And Chris Jericho has this look on his face as if to say, F- I'm, yeah. I've completely screwed myself here. He was lost for words at the end there as well, wasn't he? He, was he just never like, is as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. He sold it so well. Like, congratulations, Eddie Kingston, on 20-plus years of marriage, by the way. That's a hell of a job. Yeah. Tremendous. I I didn't even know he was married. He's not. I think it was a reference. Oh, was it? Am I dumb? Have I fallen for a work? He's not married. I think (laughs) he's um, got a partner who he's been with for quite some time. So I think he mentioned that he was crying in her car when he got the um, AEW contract. Well, shout-outs to Eddie. It's it's a territory reference that escapes me right now. But he's not married, nor has he been married for 20 years. God damn it. I should know this. Anyway, this was just really good fun. It's the the kind of material that only Eddie Kingston can really do without coming off. I mean, there are a short list of other guys who could do it as well, but like, who else can go the way you made my my partner cry and stuff? I'm going to kill you now. Who can do this kind of material without sending melodramatic over the top and hacky? Like, it's a really short yeah. list of wrestlers. Um, this is and he did it before as well when he had the John Moxley program when he was talking about his mother and taking the belt home to her and all of this stuff it's such a credit to him that he can even do this stuff, which in the hands of 99% of wrestlers on the planet would register as sub-soap opera nonsense, uh, the kind of stuff that you know, you know really shatters your investment in the reality of a feud and, and completely takes you out of it. He can do it. And I, I do appreciate the unique presentation as well. Can't imagine this was a lot of fun for the fans in the arena, um, but for us at home, this was cool, man. It's just... You don't need to do a video promo all the time. You don't need to have Eddie Kingston sitting there with his face all like Randy Orton after taking the yeah. fireball from The Fiend. Um, or it was Alexa Bliss, wasn't it? Not The Fiend. Everyone's The Fiend. Everyone's The Fiend. The Chris Jericho's The, the fiend. Fiendess. She is. She is. Fiendetta. Um, so yeah, this was good stuff. I haven't enjoyed the past two weeks of this feud on Dynamite. No. Um, but this was a nice, succinct little course correction, hopefully. Absolutely. Um, just one more note on it. Like, I love it when wrestlers are able to play against type and Chris Jericho, being the brain jackass, has always got a million things to say, a million catchphrases. Like, watching him, as you say, be lost for words. I just thought his facial expressions were so great. Like, the slow dawning of realisation of what he's got himself into, just put over what Eddie Kingston is going yeah. to do to him just quite brilliantly. Along similar lines, we get more jackass heel stuff um, from Mark Sterling and Tony Nice. Uh, they cut this promo that... Um, 
it's like sort of a swerve, but it's quite um, good, and it sort of indirectly puts Hook over because <laughs> he's the guy who's ultimately who needs to get over here. Um, basically, Tony Nese cuts his promo where he challenges someone who's undefeated, and they um, use all of this verbiage that would suggest that they're talking about Hook because he is undefeated because unlike Danhausen, he's actually had a match. And then they swerve and go, issue the challenge to... Dan Housen, who technically is undefeated because he's never worked a match, <laughs> but I just liked how they worked around this. Um, we'll get on to Hook later, but this is decent, I guess. Yeah, it's fine, isn't it? It's like the perfect way to use Tony Nice. Uh, Tony Nice is a, a grade A enhancement guy um, in that not necessarily a guy who, you know, you're going to give him wins and dark and elevation mostly and you're going to give him promos and you're going to establish him as a character and you're going to give, Mar- you, look, they've given him Mark Sterling as a manager because they've to understand that the Tony, he's not the most compelling talker yeah. in the world. Uh, so you, but he's the guy you put some effort into, and then you use him to put people over on their way to the top, and that's what they're doing. Uh, and I, I appreciate little flashes like the level of delusion in calling himself the top free agent signing in AEW. It's like, no, brother, you're Tony Nice. Come on, uh, but that's the point of the whole thing. So yeah, it's effective, uh, and he's going to do a really good job with Danhausen. Like Danhausen's a good wrestler himself. Uh, we all know him for the gimmick and and all of this. But Tony Nice, like I've said this a thousand times before, Tony Nice's floor is like a, a three and a half star match. Like he's really good and solid uh, and knows exactly what to do in every situation. So for me, it's an ideal first match combination uh, for somebody who's coming off quite a bad injury, a leg break. I know he's had an indie match and stuff, but yeah, like it's just uh, this is what separates the 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 good bookers from the great bookers. Just simple, tiny little undercard things that make sense and put pieces where they need to be. It's good stuff. Absolutely. Um, on the subject of this, it segues into um, Hook versus JD Drake, which goes about a minute and a half. Um, I've been a little bit, you have to say this quietly because Hook's already got such a d- dedicated stand base, but the last two or maybe even three Hook squashes, um, with the exception of the QT Marshall, I've been a little bit like, ah, I don't think they've run out of stuff for him to do. I don't think he's stagnated, but it's all a bit... The glory with the hook stuff is that they drip-fed a single cool detail, like a sort of... I've put it like this before. Um, Tony Khan and Hook together have, like, drafted a list of what do badass wrestlers do in a match. They drop people on their heads. They do nope spots. They do various different things. The fact that Hook does literally all of them and is still over and never feels desperate is awesome. So without that one thing that he does that's cool and badass in every single match, it just feels like, right, okay, is it getting a bit normalized? No, because in this match, he headbutts a chop, and it's just the coolest <laughs> thing. And yes, we're back to that trope list of badass stuff, the composite badass character that is Hook. You look great here. Headbutt the chop. Um, he wrongfoots JD Drake, who sort of leans back and then does this incredible judo takedown that the name of which i will never remember yeah. nor be able to pronounce in a million years but he's just so good at looking like everyone is knackered against him yeah. he can take you down no matter how big you are convincingly it's all very cool he does a sort of backflip into the katahajime which took me about six months to finally get right but i've got there <laughs> in the end so a backflip into the katahajime it looks awesome and then the post-match danhausen comes out he says look we've got a shared enemy in tony nice and um, let's team up against him words to that effect anyway and uh, Hook's initially like, no, no, he's reluctant. And then in a gift-wrapped bag of chips um, <laughs> is presented in front of him. And Hook, for a split second, like, ah, oh, maybe. It's quite cute. It's quite cute. Yeah. And then he's like, no, 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 shoves him away because I think Dan Housen put his hands on him. Yeah. So there's an indication that, yes, they are going to team up. 
the fans in the uh, in the arena go absolutely ballistic for this. So Damn. I'm happy to say, not the direction I would personally go with Hook, but the fans are massively into it, and yeah. I can't begrudge that. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a Danhausen guy through and through now at this stage. Just the the preposterous situations that they engineer this incredibly creative man into uh, are a hoot every time. The idea that that Danhausen's going to come down, Danhausen, the tequila dance teeth, that guy with the face paint and the curse and all this stuff, that he's going to come down and ask Hook to be in his corner is is preposterous, and that's why he's good. That's why I like it. Um, We'll see where this goes. I don't think long-term, yeah, you probably don't want Hookhausen to be like a long-term tag team here because you don't want Hook to become the comedy guy or anything like that. Um, but, you know, he can lean into it for a while as the straight man bounce. Gave him a gift a gift wrap bag of crisps. It's just, it's so stupid. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, the, 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 the this was the, one of the better Hook squashes in a while, as you said. I, I preferred this to the Anthony Henry one. Um, the visual of him just putting a guy of Drake's size on his ass. It's just simple, simple wrestling stuff. I will say, I'm going to be a little mark for a minute. Um, I really wish AEW would find something better for Drake and Henry to do. Um, they're put into these squashes because they're extremely good wrestlers and they're going to do a good job. They're going to be professional. Uh, one of our computers sounds like it's about to take off. I think it's mine. Never mind. Uh, and, and and Drake did a good job here. Uh, he's very, he's a very good wrestler and like he can believably stand up to hook with some of his host stuff but i think that there is no shortage uh, of good wrestlers who can do a good professional job to hook and i think it's kind of a shame that drake in his tenure in AEW has been either attached to the wingmen and okay yes he's quite amusing in that role you know the the big bruiser guy uh, paired up with the wacky uh, hot boy summer waxed and vax it, you know that's foundationally decent comedy um but I think he's capable of a lot more. The Work Horsemen have been one of the best tag teams on the indies for years. I think Henry in particular, as particularly as like a gleeful prick heel, uh, is, is extremely underrated and should be making loads of money on TV somewhere. I wish they would find a better role for those guys. They don't necessarily have to, but I would like them to. Uh, that is my aside to this. Gee whiz, this computer is about to die. Uh Good audio. <laughs> my take, and I might be mistaken, but I think on the on the Chiron. It said that it was J, uh, J.D. Drake of the Work Horsemen and not yeah. the Wingmen. I think the Wingmen are dead. And I hope so. I'd like to think that the Work Horsemen, just like you, will get a shot because I do like teams along the lines of the Acclaimed and the Wingmen. Uh, sorry, not the Wingmen. I didn't like them at all. Uh, the Acclaimed and the Gun Club, who are little goobers who can get a certain kind of more niche heat by being really annoying in an entertaining yeah. way. But I think there's definite value in establishing um, a team like the Work Horsemen as a different kind of undercard heel team that just gives a different dimension to the division because yeah. I'm feeling like I've seen the Acclaimed and the Gun Club. I like the direction they are going in together, incidentally, but I've seen enough of those gatekeeper tags, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the word sure. horsemen are sort of different dimension to that. I want to put over Dax Hall with Big here because this felt like a just an obligatory um pre-tape promo hyping his match with Adam Cole. But Adam Cole is the biggest star between him and Dax Harwood. I know they're really pushing Dax Harwood, but Adam Cole is a singles guy just headlined an AEW pay-per-view to great success. Um so if you look at that match graphic on paper, you think Valiant Effort, Dax Harwood, is going to lose to Adam Cole, who's got more chance of working a feature singles match at double or nothing than Harwood. 
Hollywood cuts promos. Like, I just think he's going to win the title. Yeah. Like, I think he's going to win yeah. every single match. He's in the <laughs> intent and belief and the passion. It's just so great. I completely believe it when he says he's going to win. I think this is a fabulous match to book. It's not just the, the Brett-Sean comparison, even though that's why they've done it in the Owen, but you've got the biggest star versus the guy who better exemplifies the man who the tournament is named yeah. after. So I'm bang up for this. Genuinely, I think it should be great. I think it could be really hard to call in this match, in this promo, which it's meant to do, made it even harder to call for me. Yeah, I'm with you. I really want to see Dax uh, reach the finals and win the tournament after this. Um, it's just a very real, compelling talker. I, I, I love that they're leaning into the HBK versus Brett stuff as well. Like, it's so perfect. Like, given their respective influences and... You were dead right the other week when you said basically, yeah, uh, Harwood is going to stretch the the shocked facial expressions out of this guy. Yeah. It's just it's sim- simple inspired stuff, um, and I do want to see Dax win it for the Hart family. Absolutely, the highlight of the show was next for me. Riho defeated Yuka Sakasaki, and the fact that I was so impressed by the match and not too gutted about the result, I think to me anyway, indicates the strength of the match itself because I'm a huge mark for Yuka Sakazaki and genuinely this match just made me fall even harder for the act I think she's got legitimate ace potential she hasn't worked a single match in AEW since Fighter Fest rather last year against uh, Penelope Ford I believe it was but the crowd was with her this is an exhausted crowd as well I think if this was on Dynamite it would have even got a hotter yeah. reaction um, starts off with some gorgeous Joshi um, chain wrestling um, fought a whirlwind pace um, they are sort of countering everything almost in anticipation of the moves themselves happening and um, from there it goes into a more high spot heavy match and um, you can say millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be Big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com. Slash what culture. 
is like this incredible um, kind of springboard plancher, but she does it from the top to the second, onto the floor. Um, from there, after the break, he gets some big bombs, um, some stuff from the top rope, gets incredible um, counter where... Riho goes to throw the double knee strikes in Yuka's face. Uh, Yuka ducks at the last second, rolls her up, 2.9. Riho gets the advantage, and it's 2.99. I genuinely thought Yuka Zakizaki was like a carder level in terms mm-hmm. of the kick out here. Um, we then get this sort of forearm exchange, and just the way that it goes from mat wrestling, very cagey, um, kind of an exhibition quality, to the start, like laying in forearms. Um, no sense of a cheat and no sense of ridiculously pointless situational heel dynamic. It just felt like two women working a fight trying to um, advance in the tournament. And um, pretty much the second they engage in that strong style forearm um, to the cheek exchange, Riho just traps her with a pinning combination and wins. If I've got one slight criticism, and I'll try to do this because you could, could do a two-star match and I'd still love it because I like you, Kazakazaki. Maybe a little bit anticlimactic. I felt like they still had a peak they could have worked towards here. Um, I understand that Rampage just likes to be very, very um, relentless in its pace. I th- really felt like they could have done with three minutes to get this into that special tier. This is genuinely very, very, very good, I thought. Yeah, I thought this was this was a tremendous little match. Uh, really good TV fodder. It turned out to be a pretty inspired move to bring Yuka Sakazaki over for this one match before she goes presumably goes back to Tokyo Joshi Pro. Um, rather than just doing the oft-repeated format of these tournament qualifiers has been established star versus whoever the hell, and uh, you know who's going to win and stuff. Um, I think, like, looking at the marquee, you would have probably picked Riho to win. Um, but still, it was an inspired little move, and then to present it as so competitive throughout the match... Um, I watched I watched Rampage today. I had a very busy weekend, so I didn't get a chance to watch it over the weekend. And I decided I was going to watch it at speed and a half, uh, just to get through it, so we could hit the studio nice and early. Yuka Sakazaki's music sounds insane in normal speed. Yeah. Let me tell you, I almost had an existential crisis uh, listening to her ring entrance as she was coming down here. It's it's nuts. It's great. Uh, Rio switching up the look, joining the House of Black. It seems with the new attire and stuff. House that's Black. that's cool to see as well. Um, but yeah, like it's a different working standard. Like, when you get two people from from Joshi backgrounds, and it's like, I'm not saying this to disparage, like, American workers. Uh, I've just put uh, Jamie Hayter over huge. Obviously, she's British, but you know what I mean. Um, But, like, when you have these Joshi wrestlers who are in these dojos, and they're starting in their, like, teenage years or even younger, and they're training for years and years and years, and they debut, like, at 18 or 19 or something, but by that point, they've already been in the the game for years, and, and, like... Someone like Yuka Sakazaki, she's been doing this for like nine years already, uh, and yet she's still young. Her best years are still theoretically years ahead of us. But when you have these people who've had the craft of wrestling drilled into them over and over and over and over again, it's just a different working standard when you put them in the ring against each other. I think you you can tell a lot about what people see wrestling as from their opinion on Riho in particular. You obviously get all the bad faith takes about, oh, she's so small and all of this stuff. But like, if you watch what she's doing, her size has never been her problem. In fact, it's been her biggest advantage because she's so crafty at using the fact that she's often a lot smaller than her opponents. And obviously there's not much of a size discrepancy between her and Yuka. Um, But the way she like rolls into various pin attempts and stuff, the finish was a good example of that. Um, I thought this was a very impressive piece of work across the board. Yuka's offense is very creative. Uh, She's having a really good year. Like, 
my my main take coming out of this would be to urge people to just go and watch more Joshi because like this is the kind of standard you can expect. Uh, it's not universal. There are I'm not saying there are no bad Joshi matches. There certainly are. In fact, like some of the Tokyo Joshi Pro stuff is very very on the nose almost comedy-ish and it's not always for me but like let's come watch some of yuka's magical sugar rabbits tag team stuff from this year particularly the march tag against riko uh rika tatsumi and mio watanabe she's been doing really good stuff is what i'm trying to say uh i love watching her work um i loved some of the little bits of selling here and there in this match as well like riho constantly having to like shake out the knee and stuff and yeah, really good piece of craftswomanship and uh, very happy to see Yuka back. I hope we get to see more of her now that there's... I don't want to wait another year. Yeah. I do not want to wait another year. I understand that she's um, a big star for Tokyo Joshi Pro and AEW can't just pluck her whenever they got down like because she figures heavily into their plans, but surely a compromise has to be reached at some point because I thought she was great here. My, my initial takeaway from Yuka Sakazaki in 2019, and once I finished Twin Peaks, I think Tokyo Joshi Pro for her alone is going to be the... That sort of side projects. Mm. Unfortunately, we can't really produce much content on sort of niche Joshi promotions. Love to, I'd love but, to, but it doesn't really yeah. do well. Um, but my big takeaway is that in 2019, I was enchanted by Yuka Sakazaki. I almost thought like her magical girl splash, the way she used to wobble on the ropes because she was so slight, was like endearing, if anything else. But like in great character development, she's like really piled on some muscle and she doesn't do the wobble anymore. She just feels like a more serious proposition yeah. who still retained that incredible sympathy to be just as great um, on offense and on the cell. I think she's a great performer, and yes, I would like to see more of her. I would like to see significantly less of literally anything to do with American <laughs> top team. I made the grave mistake of putting over the last two minutes of um, Sky versus Guevara's ladder match, which I otherwise thought was like rushed and just honestly a bit cheap and um, desperate because I thought Scorpio Sky did such a great job of trying to get over and succeeding as a babyface. Those attitude was great. He looked like he couldn't be arsed with Sammy Guevara. thought it was a tremendous babyface performance from Sky, almost in spite of the match yeah. itself. And then they do some horrendous stuff in the following segment. Um, Lamba comes out, and he says, I'm not going to chase the cheap hometown pop, but I am was born in Baltimore. And I thought, right, okay, they're trying to be a little bit less egregious with, hey, you hate Sammy Guevara, therefore I have to be the default face. I thought initially they were going to do a quite sly, decent way of easing you into the idea of liking Dan Lambert in and of himself, not just because he happens to be in a program with someone like Sammy Guevara, who's kind of turned himself heel of late. That didn't happen. They go full heel. Everyone's a heel. I don't know who the baby face is. I don't know who I'm meant to like. I don't know why I'm invested in the story. Take the TNT title, which should be really, really protected and used to be an amazing thing, out the realm of this because mm. it's absolutely rubbish. Um, so the segment... Um, basically draws out Frankie Kazarian and uh, Scorpio Sky is a bit babyface in his promo. It's all completely all over the place. Anyway, the upshot is that he's going to defend the title against Kazarian. This is Scorpio Sky. He promises to sort of bring prestige back to it. Like, it's not the Intercontinental title that's yeah. been dead and buried since 1998. It's legitimately something that has only gone off the rails this year. So I hated all that verbiage. And the worst part of it, obviously, was that Scorpio Sky has promised that it's not going to be traded around the back more than Ty Conti. It's going to be in his hands for a bit longer than that. Um, yeah. Ty Conti um, has 
been married, I think. Yeah. And then she's now in a monogamous relationship with Sammy Guevara. If she decided to go out and have consensual sex with lots of different male partners because she enjoyed it, guess what? That would be okay too. I feel like I'm saying this every week. I feel like every single component of this, whatever rivalry it is, is completely and utterly unlikable. If I'm being perfectly honest, Kazarian versus Scorpio Sky doesn't really fill me with any kind of anticipation either. I hate all of this. Yeah, you're dead right. I think going to you sleep with lots of people in in 2022 for that would be fine, and she only sleeps with one. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's all it's two kinds of stupid. And going to something that there's absolutely like like you, you like you said there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with in 2022. And going to that for heat, it's just when are we? When's wrestling gonna just like go of the attitude era, man? When are we gonna get away from this this cheap nonsense? Um, yeah, I mean this stuff's all over the place, isn't it? Like. It's just boring, lazy Dan Lambert stuff. Baltimoreans, crab cakes are bad. Blah 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 blah. They're trying to go for the idea that Paige and Dan Lambert are are the pure heels, and they're pulling Scorp in one direction, and Scorp respects Kazarian, so he's kind of pulling towards the babyface direction. But then he goes and goes, ah, Ty Conti, you or you or whatever, whatever, and it's like. It's not landing on any level. And, like, Kazarian's, Kazarian's verbiage here was really rubbish as well. Like, if you had, an, what was it, an annoying little overpowering blonde or something, and it's just like, am I supposed to pop for that? Am I? Is that supposed to be a zinger? Like, he just oh, came Are we off. meant to like the misogyny here? Because yeah, Lambert like, does it, and Scorpio Sky does it. And as you said, there's meant to be this... It's very hard to determine what's actually going on but the i think your initial reading is right that scorpio sky is meant to be kind of the more face leaning act within top team who the seeds of dissension are kind of being sown now but they're both like vile misogynists saying really sexist outdated stuff so i meant to hate dan lambert for saying this but i meant to think that scorpio sky's a right lad for saying it like what the hell is any of this yeah it's just it's rubbish um i get the the attitude here was an extremely successful period in pro wrestling history but it was also uh 23 years ago so Mm -hmm. let's move on and the ruthless aggression era which i i hate the fact that it's called the ruthless aggression era because it's not format tone virtually everything about the ruthless aggression era was identical to attitude which was very different to New Generation and um, the Golden Era. I hate the three words, Ruthless Aggression yeah. Era. Oh, but it was work rate, Michael. <laughs> I had, like, Paul Heyman being allowed to book for six months, yeah. and then that was it. Like, it was ridiculous. But what annoys me is, like, everyone says, I know, you're more like the Attitude Era. No, WWE is more like the Attitude Era under the very guise of Ruthless Aggression, and the business tanked because people were bored of Attitude, so... Why do it in AEW now? Um, Hamlet had a great take about this. It's too much of a bro company at times, and yep, it is a, a bro company, and I dislike it. Um, before we get to the main event, we get a small angle, which I liked, but I thought it could have been a little bit more healy. I'll get into it very quickly. Um, Excalibur starts to do the the auction caller, whatever, bar- Carnival Barker rundown for Dynamite next week. Um, st- just as the words, if Jungle Boy were here right now, leave his lips, Jungle Boy comes down. I think it might have been a bit cooler if Stark sold Abject Fear, but he kind of didn't, and he went up in his face. So I think they missed a gag here, but it was still halfway inspired. And I like how when one thing happens, it doesn't necessarily mean it's redundant if it happens again. It just means someone's got an idea. So if Santana can come in and interrupt a bit of heel who's got the comfort blanket of being on commentary, then Jungle Boy can do it as well. 
as long as it doesn't become a trope that Tony Khan does this thing where he gets obsessed with things for like three weeks at a time, like belt shot kickouts yes. and Bobby Fish and all the rest <laughs> of it. <laughs> so like if this happens every week, I'll start getting annoyed, but twice is okay for yeah. me. Yeah, it was fine. Uh, I thought Ricky Starks was really good in it. Just little things like the way, the the veracity with which he pie-faced Jungle Boy was a lot of fun. He didn't like just go up to him and gently nudge him in the face. He properly like tried to launch him across the arena and then he scampered away like a tremendous stooge after it. Uh, yeah, the guy's a TV star. Uh, didn't really feel much when Jungle Boy was standing there with the belt, but I'm sure the match will be good. Absolutely. Um, the main event, we get Konosuke Takeshita um, losing his first televised match at Jay Lethal, which I didn't think was particularly mm. um, well advised, but I thought the match itself was um, good to very good without being blown away great. Um, it's kind of back and forth. Um, it's a showcase for Takeshita to do his like, incredible like hybrid worker is the best way I can think of describing what he can do succinctly. Like the power game that he's got is great. The rotations that he can just toss people around at his whim, just incredible. He's a great presence. Like his athleticism is wonderful yeah. as well. Um, so there's some really nice sequences where he counters um, the lethal injection a couple of times as well. Um, deep into the match, um, just a Fargo strut as well, which I thought was quite yes. taken by. It was really good. Um, deep into the match, um, he does the jumping knee, which I would just not do it. I understand that um, Sanjay Dutt appeared on the apron, so the move was theoretically protected, but I would just rather have not done it at all. I think that should be established as a, as a kill shot because I think this vertical lead and the, the impactful nature of that move is so impressive that it should knock someone out for like 30 seconds. Especially, not yeah, especially on commentary when they're talking about Jumbo Saruta and, and yes. Junakiyama and stuff. It's like... Yeah, agreed. Yeah, absolutely. So I was annoyed that they squandered that. Like, maybe you can... I've seen millions of matches where a finisher is protected in that way, where it's struck, and then someone rolls out the ring, or their feet are next to the ropes, or a manager, in this case, interferes. Don't do it the first time. Like, I want that established big time. My worry is that they don't care as much about Takeshita as his potential can take him somewhere. Mm -hmm. So it was all a bit... This is very good when it got going, but I just thought all of this was not particularly well booked. Yeah, uh, some suboptimal choices, I think, were made. Um, I don't understand why you'd have him lose. Why, why would you have Takeshita lose his first televised match? Because he's obviously been on Dark and Elevation. Show clips of that, should have done that on Dynamite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like... I'm not gonna. I'm not sitting here and saying because people will interpret it this way. I'm not sitting here and saying he should have beaten Jay Lethal, who's in a program with Samoa Joe. I'm saying that when Konosuke Takeshita, the big star of DDT, the five or six time KOD Openweight Champion, whatever he is now, when he's on your TV show to introduce him, he should win like the good match rather than lose the good match. And if you wanted to put Jay Lethal over somebody on this match to warm him up for Joe and set up the post-match angle, then have him face someone else. Like Alex Reynolds would give him a good match and he doesn't need to win or like whatever. Like he's not going to lose anything by defeat. Just someone like that. You've got like so many good little workers on this roster. That sounds condescending. You've got so many good workers on this roster who could just lose to Jay Lethal if you wanted to go down that route. So I'm, I'm not too sure about why they went down that route. I think that the finish was an earnest attempt at protecting him, but then you get... It's just WWE stuff. Yeah, exactly. You get into the the kind of the modern American wrestling cliches of the manager on the apron, and it's like 
that stuff, unfortunately for AEW, it's very difficult to pull off these days because we've been watching it for like 30 years and we're all very tired of it. Um, but that being said, I thought this was a very good match. I am very impressed with how well Takesh does coming across in American wrestling on American TV. Um, because, it's, you know, DDT is a major star. He has these great matches and... Uh, he's been booked on top of the company for years and years and years, and alongside guys like Hiroshima and Tetsuya Endo. He's one of like the core big dudes and comes off extremely well. It's a smaller company, though, that typically has shows in smaller arenas with smaller, perhaps more hardcore fan bases. So it's very, that having that level of, like resonating as a star in that environment is not easy to repl replicate in these sprawling basketball arenas through these national TV cameras. But I think he's doing, he, he does, he does. Um, we'll get there with various bits and pieces of his character and stuff, but his physical presence, I think he fills the room. I think he fills the screen, comes off extremely well. Uh, great physical charisma. Obviously, uh, I mean, no get to things like his own video and stuff. So he feels like more part of the ecosystem, which he doesn't quite yet. Um, but it does help as well that his his stuff always looks great. Like all of his moves and all of his execution is always on point. Um, like you said, he's got good size as well. I think there's a lot they can do with Takeshita here. I've, I've been screaming about how good this guy is at every opportunity for ages. Uh, I'm glad that the American viewers and people who consume these shows will have an opportunity to see that now. Uh, my only complaints are with the choices made, as you've said. I think he sold well as well here, Takeshita. Like, after the dragon screwed through the ropes, which was after his little showdown with Satnam Singh on the outside, he was always going back to the knee and, like, trying to punch some, some feeling into it uh, and trying to will some life back into it. And if nothing else, uh, like, I, the outcome is what it is, but, like, this was one of the, like, the lethal injection's a very contrived move, like, the way you have to set it up, and that you often have just a guy standing there like a complete dope waiting for Jay to do his flip and come back. It was well employed here because Takesha was kind of neutralized and dazed and like, oh, my God, I'm on the ground, I'm getting up. Oh, suddenly I've been hit with a car. His bump was awesome. Yeah. The timing of it was great. Like, his physical yeah. timing was just fantastic here. Yeah. yeah, my general TLDR takeaway is that Takeshita did so well to get over he's never been on national TV and I know people are limited in their viewing of Dark and Dark Elevation. And again, like, play highlights, play highlights. We all are, I think, equal parts impressed and amused by Excalibur's match rundowns now. He talks way too fast. It's impressive he can do it. So much so that it scans as comical but almost endearing because he's so good at it. As funny as it is, as impressive as it is, he shouldn't have to do it. They should just pace the shows that little bit better and, like, not everything has to have three or four or five or six backstage segments. If moments are registered, if everything's paced that little bit more neatly, then you can get stuff on the show, like highlight reel of his elevation stuff, and you don't have to have Excalibur, like, lost for words and breath, like, 50 minutes before the end of every single show. My other takeaway, um, as it pertains to this match specifically, is that he did so well to get over to Keshta that it felt like they missed out on a Star is Born moment. If he yeah, just went yeah. over against someone who they aren't planning to do a big match with Samoa Joe, then they could have the, the, the thought would have been, not oh, a good match, a bit weird, but like great match, a Star is Born. Yeah. So they missed an opportunity to do that. There was some stuff, schmozzy stuff with Joe security guards, um, lethal stable and best friends towards the end, but I can't be asked because I'm just so bored of the schmoz. Yeah. It's all very much of a blur. Uh, a bit of a down note um, ending to what I thought was a genuinely 
excellent episode of Rampage. Um, let us know what you thought about it under the Twitter link um, to the podcast, which you can find at WhatCultureWWE. We're not going to do a in-depth breakdown of that wonderful and impactful post-match angle. Probably not, no. No, it was very bad. Takesh is going to join the best friends, isn't he? Ah, yeah. I like the best friends, but uh, there's more you could be doing. There's way more you could be yeah. doing, and our evidence, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, so, yeah, you can let us know your thoughts um, at what culture WWE. Whilst you're on Twitter, you can follow Andy Murray at... Uh, at Andy H. Murray, uh, the H today stands for Hermes. <laughs> Uh, you can follow me at M. Sidgwick. Um, coming up later today, we will be previewing Raw. I believe the Night Shift lads have already done your review of WrestleMania Backlash. Mm. So um, check the feed for that. Again, later today, uh, the Raw preview, and then we'll review the show tomorrow. Um, and until then, thanks a lot for joining us. We always appreciate it, and we will see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.